Hi, everybody. Hi, and welcome to Southern Science. My name is Erica, and I am a scientist. And my name is Katie, and I am not a scientist. <laughs> and welcome for part two of our discussion on cat colorations. If you didn't listen to part one, uh, we're going to recap it super briefly, but you may want to go back and listen to our first episode, which is called A Calico Coat of Many Colors. Ta da da! <laughs> it was actually pretty great. Yeah, no, I remember last episode, um, we talked about my uh, house panther, my demon on four legs, who's a, what would you call her, a diluted calico? A tortoiseshell, but yeah. A tortoiseshell, tortoiseshell, yeah, whatever she is. A tortoiseshell with her like recessive orange genes. Well, orange, remember, orange is co-dominant. That's right. Orange and not orange are co-dominant, not recessive. That's right. My bad. See, look, I need the re- I need the recovery session as well. <laughs> so, yeah, to recap, we talked briefly about two different genes that determine cat coat color. So, one being the gene that, you know, determines brown or black, so the melanin gene, and then whether or not you actually make melanin or eumelanin, which is the orange gene. And that is actually on the X chromosome. So we spent time talking about how because of differential X inactivation in females during development, you can have some cells of a female cat um, that express the orange locus, uh, some that will express what you call not orange, and that paves the way for them to express eumelanin. So you can end up with tortoiseshell or calico cats that express both black and brown forms of melanin. So... And that's why most tortoiseshell and calicos are female. Yes. Right? Yes. Yes. Exactly. They have the option of multiple X X chromosomes. And if those have different forms of whatever the orange locus says, um, then they have the option of being both colors. (laughs) We'll give that motorcycle time to get past. (laughs) What motorcycle? Was that your side? No, that was on your side. I heard it over my headphones. Oh, dude, I didn't hear a motorcycle. That's weird. There was definitely a rumbling like a motorcycle just drove back behind you. I don't know, man. I think, man, maybe you have ghost headphones. I don't know. I didn't hear a motorcycle on this side. Yeah. Maybe I should take one headphone out so I can, like, hear. If you hear a serial killer sneaking up on me, Erica, let if me know. If I hear know, a serial killer sneaking I'm up on you, he's that. a very bad serial killer. <laughs> very not sneaky at all. I'm just saying, if you can hear things that I can't, please let me know. My death is approaching. I just want to know if it's coming or not. So, and I remember we talked very briefly, like getting back to like cats and not about me being murdered. I remember that we talked very briefly about why brown cats are so rare. And you said that's because black is co-dominant with orange and brown is recessive, right? Yes. At the melanin locus, the brown versus black, that's determined by a separate locus from the orange gene. And that is, uh, black is dominant over the recessive brown. And there's actually two versions of brown, the more, but I think what they said was chocolate versus cinnamon. There are cinnamon colored cats. (laughs) That's what they call it. I mean, that's more of a... Oh my God, I'm Googling cinnamon cat. Cinnamon colored cat. Oh my God, you're not wrong. They're fair. Okay. There are cinnamon colored cats. I stand corrected. I was going to make fun of you, but apparently that's a thing. There are cinnamon cats. Like, that's just what they're called. That's what people call the. uh, Oh my God. 
Well, I mean, and there's a lot of words that aren't, you know, strictly color words um, or the ones you would think. So we'll talk a little bit later about um, color point cats and um, specifically Siamese cats. And you'll see a lot of um, color words used for those that are like blue point Siamese. And it's not like they're blue. It's just that they have more of a grayish coloring that uh, gives it a bit more of a bluish look, but they're not blue cats you know <laughs> dude that'd be so cool though like clifford the big red dog like chauncey the big blue cat i'd be i'd be here for it i would buy a blue cat <laughs> i would buy a blue cat so i have a question so last week we talked we gone about babe the blue ox our, oh, the, oh yeah the babe the blue ox what if that's a thing like I've, that's my dad's default jeopardy answer to her like if he just walks in didn't hear the question or technically given the jeopardy setup that's his question after he hears the Jeopardy answer because, you know, Jeopardy only gives you the answers and you have to supply the question. But yeah. anyway, true story. Yeah, true story. So I, so I have a question. So we talked last week about cat colors. What about like, OK, so and I'm, I'm thinking like, OK, so tortoiseshell and calico are like co-dominant genes, like fighting. We talked about it. It's like the fairies from Sleeping Beauty, like attacking the same like. The, like they want to both be in charge of the cat what about cats like you know like your instagram cats like your cats with stripes like your tabbies or like you know the cats with like the strange heart patterns on their faces yeah so a lot of the ones that have really distinctive like half and half um like bilateral kind of a bifurcation of the color patterns you know whether it's like two-faced cats you just oh yeah like two-faced yeah like Har the harvey dan cats yes those that tends to be like kind of what we talked about last time about the different colors during development a patch choosing uh, orange and a patch choosing black you know which melanins they produce so that's why a lot of um those kind of two-faced cats end up being tortoiseshell patterns um mm -hmm. and that's just kind of the cells that descended from orange versus black as they propagate they migrated to different halves of the face but as tabbies Bless you. My bad. <laughs> <laughs> okay, tabbies. Um, tabbies, uh, let's make this extra complicated and introduce two more genes. So in order to have oh, a tabby, <laughs> I know, so we covered two different genes last episode, which was- Orange and black. Uh, basically. And, melanin, eumelanin. Right. Uh, melanin, eumelanin, or pheomelanin. Yes. So this time we're going to talk about two others, which is the agouti locus and another one that's just for tabby. So agouti spelled A-G-O-U-T-I, if you need to Google. Agouti. Agouti yes. loco. Oh, I, you know I'm on the Google. Yes. Agouti. Oh, and it comes right up. Apparently lots of people Google this. All right. Yes. It's actually a really common word for coat patterns and... um. It's one you see a lot if you use mice in the lab. Uh, there's like the agouti or non-agouti uh, coloring is really common for when you're choosing lab mice. Okay. Not sure why, because I don't work with mice, but <laughs> it is. <laughs> you don't have like a agouti or non-agouti bacteria? No, nah, I personally don't want to have bacteria anywhere near what I do. But as far as I know, they don't have very interesting color options. They may. <laughs> Cancers don't, don't come in colors? Not normally, although technically, because we were talking about melanin so much last week, uh, if you get melanoma, 
that is a cancer of your melanocytes, which that's is the, the bad producing cells in your skin. Yes, that tends to be what uh, it's a highly metastatic cancer. So I guess most cancer cells probably are just colored like normal body cells, except for those because those are going to be darker. You know, I mean, cancer is never cool, but I feel like cancer would be more cool if it came in like tabby or something. <laughs> like if it was like a goat eye cancer, I feel like that would be less mad about it. All of the cancer that I deal with, you grow genetically identical populations. So they all need to be clones. They all need to be exactly the same as each other and they, because otherwise you couldn't be consistent with your experimental results. <laughs> and you can't do that with cats. Cats will deliberately mess up your experiments. And I do believe that there is like documented proof that cats will try to screw up your experiments just because they're cats. <laughs> all right. We're going to say I really think that's why a lot of like mammalian experiments have to be done with dogs or, or pigs. I mean, pigs are chosen because they're very like human like in their skin and their body mass and that kind of thing. But if you have to use smaller mammals, it would definitely be dogs over cats because cats are turds when it comes to being experimented on, which I mean, why wouldn't you be? But <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, I'd, I'd be I feel like I'd be very cat like in my approach to being experimented on. I wouldn't like it. I'd be very upset. So speaking of cats who are buttheads, uh, my cat, Leo, is a tabby cat. The worst. <laughs> and we, men we mentioned him last week as uh, being a giant grumpus. And, He's a jerk. Uh, who I, I absolutely adore, but he kind of hates everyone else on the planet. So. It's true. But he is a tabby cat. Um, he is actually a tabby cat with white patches on him. Does, does Leo have... Yeah, he does. Yeah, he does. Like, his underneath and his little paws. Oh, you don't have to go get him. He uh, Girl, don't you make that cat mad. He would not be mad. Here, bud. Oh, yeah. Is my boy. Oh, look at Leo. Okay, yes, he does have white. He doesn't look very happy that you picked him up. He's got half a white at, Oh, and he's, I forgot he's got that like little white spot on his face. Yes, he's got half a white face. He's got a white bib and he's got little tiny white socks. But man, he's got beautiful stripes too. And they're so symmetrical. Yes. So actually having that little M on their head, which one of my uh, former coworkers always referred to tabbies as M heads. Uh, is actually that's character or like you know Majin Buu, Dragon Ball Z throwback, <laughs> you know whatever. Yeah, but that's a, a very characteristic of the tabby coat pattern is to have that M head M, um, that you can see really distinctly on Leo. But so in order to be tabby, uh, there actually is two different genes that have to be I wouldn't say active, but they have to be the appropriate coding for tabby to happen so the first one of those like i said is the agouti locus and that's what makes their individual fur like individual hairs striped and so okay so even I'm though looking at it even though leo looks clearly like he has stripes of different colors he has stripes of brownish tannish kind of a yellowy color yeah. It's probably the more official. So it's like brown and yellow and yellow mm -hmm. to the extent that it's a very light brown, I guess, you know, kind of a khaki. Yeah. Um, <laughs> khaki. <laughs> the khaki cat. Anyway, yeah, khaki so, that's, cat. so that stripiness comes from the agouti gene. And if it is uh, the dominant agouti pattern, that's where you get 
the banding pattern on the hairs themselves. And that's what will allow kind of the overall stripey pattern to reveal itself. So you have to have the agouti as the big A dominant form in order to be able to reveal the pattern at the tabby locus. Okay. So um, it's big A, big A for agouti and then recessive little a for non-agouti. And that's just a solid um, color. Okay. So um, once again, I'm doing my little Punnett square in my head, doing the Punnett square. Okay. So the tabby pattern, again, is a separate locus that just basically determines the striping pattern. And so um, there are different types of of tabby patterns, and they're more associated with different um, kind of genetic lineages of the cats. But um, Leo's pattern is pretty common to most stereotypical tabbies, except for his white patches. And the white patches are yet another gene. Okay. We're up to like five at this point. And I'm going to need you to like limit the genes. I'm I'm running out of brain space. There's only one more after this. Okay. Okay. Six is the cutoff. As a separate color. I'm going to remind you if you try to go past six. All right. We're at five. Go. Okay. The white genes. So we're up to, yes, now we're up to a white gene. And um, it can produce either an all white cat or white patches on a cat. So Leo is, I don't know, let's say 30%, 25% white. Yeah. And that's just, again, based on the white gene that he has. And so um, that should be the the WS, like a W, little S. Yeah. All white cats, like my mom's cat, Ella Sue, they have a version in their genes that are called, it's WD for dominant white. Um, so that just depending on the version that they have, uh, will produce either white spots or all white cat. And that's what, like I said, that's the difference between Leo's white and LSU's white. It's strange that white's a dominant color. So the word you use when you're comparing different genes is not the word dominant. So uh, dominant is for the forms of a gene at that locus uh, with the different alleles, which one is going to be phenotypically expressed over the other. If you were to express both of them at the same time, which one would end up being what the cat looks like, which is called the phenotype. So the genotype is the word for what the words on the DNA string are. Yeah. And then the phenotype is the physical, what they look like. The phenotypes, what the box looks like, genotypes, what's inside the box. Yes, absolutely. What The blueprints that coded for the box. Gotcha. Yeah. So dominant versus recessive, that's all referring to a single gene. Did you have a black that is dominant or a brown that is recessive? And that's, those were the, the allele options you had at that locus. And if you end up having both of them, then it'll be black because that's dominant instead of the brown. Mm-hmm. Now, we talked about co-dominant because that's going to be either or. Okay. You know, you can either express one or the other they're equally powerful and at their own genes as it were so in their own land at their own locus they're each maximum king level and now we're uh now we're getting like laws of probability and stuff like that (laughs) so in this in this analogy that i have uh spontaneously created we're talking about like each of the genes being its own little area its own little kingdom and the dominant gene the dominant form is the king but Mm -hmm. In another land, uh, far away on a different gene, there is an emperor that overpowers these kings, no matter what they say about the color in their own land. So we're getting some Game of Thrones. So this is known as epistasis. 
And epistasis means that your coding at one gene will completely override the coding at another gene. So just to kind of borrow Wikipedia's example, because I saw that earlier, um, <laughs> basically the gene for uh, being bald, male pattern baldness, will override any hair color gene that you have. Because it doesn't matter genetically if you were supposed to have blonde hair, red hair, brown hair, black hair. If you're bald, none of those genes get the ex chance to express themselves. Okay, fair. And so with cats, white is an epistatic gene. And it overpowers whether or not it's tabby or agouti or orange or eumelanin. It's white because that. That's what the white gene said, and it was more powerful. It was, I used the phrase kind of upstream last time, but that was really in a, in a context of co-dominance. But this is, this is kind of an overpowering, if that thing says white, then it doesn't matter what other colors you were going to have. Yeah, so in my analogy, using Game of Thrones, white is the Daenerys Targaryen. White's got the dragons, white's coming in, it's in charge. Yes. Fair enough. I, I've, despite... <gasps> Have you not seen Game of Thrones? Lots of fantasy. I've never, I haven't seen any of it. Oh my God. Oh, we might just have to quit the podcast. I and you know, know me, I'm like, you know how big into high fantasy I am. How have you not seen Game of Thrones? I mean, I don't have HBO. Okay. So. I'm going to give you my login yeah. and we're going to totally end up doing a podcast <laughs> strictly on your reactions to Game of Thrones because this is like ruining my life. Okay. <laughs> so just to let you know, this is like reaction videos 10 years after the, fact. Oh my God. No, it's still good. Oh my God. For any listeners out there, I'm sorry for my breakdown, but this is like ruining everything I thought I knew about my best friend. Okay. She's never seen Game of Thrones. I'm broken. <laughs> okay. So I know you don't get this reference, but the epistasis, everyone else will get this reference, is Daenerys Targaryen. I get it. Okay, continue. So, um... Horrified. Oh, <laughs> Horrified. Oh, one other uh, cool thing that I did want to say about the white gene is that it is related to not just coat color, but it's related to some other processes in neurological development for cats. And just to throw it out there, that is why white cats are often deaf. Oh, okay. There's there's something, and I, I don't remember the details, but it's something about the development of their ear canal or auditory neurons. I'm not sure which, but it's the white gene itself that has, basically it plays other roles in the body. And one of the things that it affects is the development of the ears. And so white cats can be deaf. They're not always, they just have a much higher likelihood than cats of other colors. And interestingly, I've heard that. If you have cats like my mom's cat, LSU, who have the one blue eye and one gold eye. So blue eyes are something that you often get when you have the white gene because uh, it overrides melanin production. And if that also occurs in the eyes, then you get blue eyes. And blue eyes is just generally what you have when you don't have melanin production. That's the same for humans, which is why uh, blue-eyed people can suffer more retinal damage in the sun. So be extra careful to wear your sunglasses out in the sun if you have blue eyes. Just a little That's PSA the there. PSA we got right there. <laughs> <laughs> but white cats with one blue eye actually tend to also be deaf on the side of their body that has the blue eye. So if they're going to, they may have deafness just in one ear. 
And do you know, okay, so we mentioned last time how I found Ella Sue outside of my school. Yes. And then ended up giving her to my parents. That's why her name's Ella Sue. Yes, because I found her at an LSU campus. <laughs> so I was aware of the fact that white cats can also often be deaf, especially if they have one or more blue eyes. Do you know how hard it is to try and figure out if a cat is deaf or just ignoring you? Because <laughs> cats are real good at ignoring Oh, I just assume all cats are ignoring you. I don't know if I, I just like I'm sitting here like you're saying this and I don't even know if I believe that there's such a thing as a deaf cat. I just think maybe the white cats are extra mean and just actively ignore their humans. Their, their ignoring game is just so much stronger. So much stronger. But that's the thing because I'm trying to find a way to like make a sound to see if LSU will respond to it. And I'm trying to make sure that like I'm not if I hit something to make a sound like the door or whatever, then what if she's just noticing the vibrations? Okay. So I can't do that, but I need like my phone to just make a beep or something like that. And then, but what if she doesn't care and it beeps and she doesn't react? She's a cat. She doesn't care. Like <laughs> shake that, uh, shake that food container. Yeah. I think that's probably what ended up working. But the thing is you can't make a big movement because then she could be responding to the movement. True story. Also, she could just be a cat and just ignoring you because she thinks you're lame. Yeah. Well, she she liked me at first <laughs> because I found her and it was January and it was cold. And she she came up to me and was like, excuse me, I would like to go home with you. So. <laughs> excuse me, miss. Can I use your phone? Basically. Because where I found her, there are a lot of other cats that live there. And interestingly... They are a, uh, is a little colony of both black and color point cats. So we'll talk about why those might be hanging out together. But um, yeah, LSU was not a part of that colony. She was skinny and little and she was just like, I don't like it here. And just meowed at me. I don't belong here. I'm not part of the black and uh, color point cat community. I am a white cat and potentially deaf. Yeah. <laughs> I probably shouldn't be here. And it's very with all it's the very cats. cold and I would like to leave. So I took her home. Yep. It's like I don't belong here. This yep. is not for me. But she very much enjoys her new life. Oh yeah. So, uh, and then the last gene <laughs> I want to talk about. <laughs> because trust me, there are more. We haven't even No, you said six. We we'll cut, cut it at we'll six. It at you six. promised six. We'll cut it at six. I can't pass a quiz if it's more than six. That's fair. Okay, so the very last gene I want to talk about is what creates the amazing phenomenon that is color point cats, or Siamese cats, as many cannot be generically referred to, but Siamese is actually a very specific um, set of traits. So I'm going to call them color point cats. And so you know what uh, we're talking about? Uh, it's kind of cats that look mostly white or tan, but at their extremities, which would be the uh, nose or other parts of their muzzle, uh, tips of their ears, their tail, their feet, and apparently for male cats, sometimes their balls. <laughs> blue ball cats. If they are blue point Siamese, then yes, technically that would be true. <laughs> Okay, I'm 12. I'm sorry. Okay, so I'm actually Googling color point cats. And yeah, they're not all Siamese. Some of them are fluffy. Mm -hmm. And they're all really weird colors, too. Okay. Yeah, so um, the fluffier ones, I think, like um, Himalayan cats are pretty 
well-known their color points and then uh you can also have color point cats that are not strictly like they would have been all black if not for the pattern uh they can have un underlying color differences so those dark patches on them can be kind of whatever they were going to be as other cats were they going to be black cats or were they going to be tabby cats so if you look up like a lynx point cat that's a cat that uh has a tabby pattern on its face. Like all the places that you color point cats have the color, it's a tabby pattern. So that's really cool. What? So Lynx point cats. Okay. Yeah. So the fun thing. Oh, that's cool. <laughs> anyone listening at home is welcome to join Katie on her Google journey of these pictures. As long as you're not listening to this while you're driving. This is amazing. Yeah, don't listen to this while you drive. Oh, my God, because you need to see these cats. Okay, this is so cool. So they have like weird. Oh, this is so neat. All right. So how does this happen? How do you do this? So the awesome thing about uh, color point cats is that they are actually temperature sensitive. So they're heat sensitive cats, or at least their coloration is. So what? So <laughs> at yet another locus that we will call the color point locus, they have the option of a form that is not affected by temperature and a form that is affected by temperature. And so this gene, what it technically does is it's involved uh, in the metabolic pathway that makes melanin or pigments in general. So um, it's, it's, it codes for an enzyme that is kind of, not to use the word again, but upstream in that process. So if you have a version of that gene that's thermostable, that is fine no matter what uh, that's what most cats have is the perfectly normal version of this gene where it does not affect uh, coloration at all but some cats okay uh, some cats have a version that is technically a temperature sensitive mutation and uh, the creation of temperature sensitive mutations is something that biochemists like my classmates use quite a lot um, because if you want to study the effect of a gene and you know that, say, a yeast that's perfectly happy growing at 37 degrees, but could survive, say, at like 42 degrees, if you take an essential gene and you make it temperature sensitive, then the yeast will die at 42 degrees. And that yeah. helps you identify the function of proteins because you know this gene that encodes for a protein uh, is going to basically self-destruct this one protein once the yeast gets hot. Yeah. And so. Okay. And I can, I can see why that would be useful. Yeah. Right. Because whatever goes wrong, once the yeast gets hot, that's what that gene did. It's what that gene, Absolutely. the protein yeah. that gene encoded for. So it helps you identify the function of different proteins. So. Makes sense. Okay. So, okay. So I get, I get how that would be useful in yeast and stuff like that. But when we're talking about heat sensitive genes on a cat, like I know the genes aren't self-destructing. Well, um, right? I mean, it's not, it's not on purpose. It's just a mutation and it's not a harmful mutation. So it doesn't really get selected against evolutionarily. Um, mm -hmm. So it's, it's a, just a trait that persists. And so if this gene that is, uh, encodes an enzyme that helps you make melanin, if it is temperature sensitive, if, if it encodes for a protein that's temperature sensitive in the parts of the body that are warmer, so close to the cat's core, you know, like 
just mostly let's say their torso, their stomach, all that kind of stuff, the, their neck, everything that's real close, not an extremity is going to be warmer. Okay. And so the protein, it ends up being defective. So the gene encodes a temperature sensitive segment and the protein as a result will self-destruct at warmer temperatures. So that's why this process of melanin production is disrupted at places that are warmer on the cats. In places that are cooler on the cats, uh, like the tips of their ears, say, okay. are far enough away from the cat's body heat that the melanin uh, can be produced without any any changes, without any dis- disruption from this uh, temperature-sensitive mutation. Uh, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm following so far. All right, so the temperature-sensitive mutation is actually affecting the parts of the cat that are hot. Right. So the colors... Which is backwards from what I thought. Okay, yeah. So the parts that are dark is the color that the whole cat would be if they didn't have this mutation. Okay, that makes sense. Okay. So that's why color point cats that hang out with the black cats in the alleyway next to my school, they're probably all siblings, and some of them have... Like the black ones probably carry a recessive version of the color point gene. And then the others just have expressed the color point gene. So those Siamese cats would be black cats if they didn't have that color point mutation. Got you. Oh, that's crazy. And I guess that's one of the reasons like when a cat has kittens that you can't really predict what color the kittens are going to be. Well, I mean, because one, there's so many genes involved. I know. Look, I'm not, I'm not talking purebred cats. Yeah. I'm not talking those $10,000 Persian cats. No. I'm talking the perfectly like, lovable like street cats. Joe Blow's cat. <laughs> yes, and uh, yes. So there's a lots of uh, genes that go into cat color. But speaking of when cats are, when uh, cats are born in their colors, uh, Siamese cats and other color point cats are um, actually born all white because they're born at womb temperature. But oh I'm my sh- god! <laughs> Very punny. Very funny. Are you proud of yourself? Yes, I am. I'm a little <laughs> proud of myself. <laughs> I was determined to use that joke. So wait, wait. Okay, so they're born white or see teal? No, not teal. They're born white or khaki or whatever color because they're all warm. Yes. So yes, they're when they're incubating inside of their mother inside of a uterus, they uh, no melanin can be produced at that time because this enzyme, as soon as it's produced, it will defect and they're all born uh colorless basically oh yeah we'll say white it's not necessarily a white gene being telling it to be white it's a lack of color yeah and so once they're born and they start to develop and new cells are made new hair follicles are made and those have the they're those at that time are far enough away from a source of heat uh that they can start to produce the melanin that's when they start quote toasting and if you are in these like (laughs) siamese cat groups on facebook they will you know call it the process of toasting or becoming a very toasty little miser so that's first of all that's super creepy but okay your toast your cat is toasting well it is they're they're slowly turning brown on their ends you know? Oh my God. For most cats. So if they were going, like if we talked, like we talked about last week, if they were going to produce eumelanin uh, and be say black cats, then as they start to toast, that is the, that melanin, that black melanin is what appears as a color. (laughs) But this is also interesting. Um, 
as I sent Katie a picture last week of my boyfriend's cat, Samson, now in the summer versus back in January. And he looks like a different cat. Like if I hadn't seen him continuously throughout those months, I would have thought that, oh my God, Danny got a new cat and switched him out on me because, oh my God, looks nothing that, first of all, that cat is gigantic. I don't believe that's a cat. Um, second of all, like he looks so weird. Like it's so, it's crazy. It's very, very Like different. how he's like changed color. Yes. And, uh, does that happen with all of them? So yeah, that's the thing. And I was worried at first. I was like, so Samson, uh, the cat, Samson as a whole, um, he's huge. As Katie said, he is a large chonker for sure. The chonky boy, huge cat. And he looks basically exactly like an otter. I have been accused many times online of secretly smuggling an otter and pretending it's a cat. He has no ears. He, yes. He has no ears. That is a completely separate birth <laughs> defect than anything we'll be talking about. But it is a birth defect that he doesn't have ears because his whole litter was born without ears. That's crazy. Yes. Okay. But anyway, Samson is very, very fat. And as a result, he actually is fairly dark all over. And I, I suspect he is dark all over because he has such a thick insulating fat layer that it keeps his fur uh, insulated away from his body heat. <laughs> that's my Which theory is, about I mean, that, that's one way to do it. He is so rotund. But anyway, um, and don't get me wrong. He gets plenty of exercise as much as he wants. He lives on a farm. He's got a hundred acres to just roam around and play with cows and dogs and be happy. So like. Yeah, we are not body shaming the cat. He's allowed to be right. whatever size he wants. We support all sizes of cats on this podcast. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> if anyone's seen my cat, Simmerine, we'd know we support all sizes of Absolutely. cats. Absolutely. We, we support. So, but the thing was, was as far as Samson's face goes, has definitely detoasted or bleached or whatever you want to think about it. He no longer has this incredibly black face. He's now like just kind of a light brown. And I was asking some Siamese groups online, like, does this happen to anyone else's cat? And they're like, yeah, actually, because Siamese cats are color sensitive during the summer, if they spend a lot of time outside, they tend to get warm. And so that dis deactivates that enzyme in the melanin production pathway and makes it where they can know they start, they stop producing the melanin and they start to kind of bleach. So now that I'm paying attention, I'll see if he starts toasting back up now that the weather's starting to turn cooler. Oh my God. That is so cool. Now I want a color point cat just to watch it go back and forth. I mean, it's pretty cool. And then the opposite kind of can happen uh, depending on where you live. So a lot of people that, you know, their cats are indoor cats and they live somewhere up North. And so, for people who their cat spends all winter on top of a heating pad, that's when they bleach. Yeah. So it really depends on what the cat is doing in its environment. Its environment can affect the coloring as much as its own body heat can. So that's crazy. That was a super <laughs> cool thing I learned recently and is the main reason I wanted to talk about cat coat genetics uh, was because I was like, I swear Samson used to be a different color. <laughs> These pictures are not the same. <laughs> They replaced your boyfriend's giant rotund color point cat with another cat. Right. Somehow they got an equally fat, no eared, with beautiful blue eyes, you know, but still. Oh, and that's why also um, most Siamese cats and color point cats have blue eyes is because that's close enough to their core that yeah. the melanin has gotten deactivated. And so that's why they have blue eyes. Which, may, oh, are they also usually deaf? No. 
it's a different gene. It's okay, not that's simply that's strictly white cats. Right. It's not because they don't have the Siamese cats. They don't have the white locus set, encoding for them to be white. They're encoded to be a different it's color. It's a mutation. It's just a lack of color. So both okay. have a lack of melanin, but it's for different reasons. Got you. Well, dude, this is super interesting. Yeah. I'm almost wondering if we should just do a podcast strictly on cats. No, you maxed us out at six genes, and that's what we just hit. <laughs> Maybe if we start over, we can go through a new one through six. <laughs> Every couple podcasts is new one through six genes. Right. But <laughs> we'll figure out why Samson doesn't have any ears, and we'll start doing like coat, like fur length and all kinds Cracked of eyes. Yeah. Fur length. Yep. And then, I mean, we could probably do an entire series on cat personality. Could fill like 18 years on that. Like, why are cats such jerks? You well, know? Yeah. Why, has, why does my cat do that? No one knows. Stop asking. <laughs> Jackson Galaxy knows. They just go watch my cat from hell and figure it out. Hey. <laughs> What's our mental health minute for this week, Erica? Oh, Unfortunately, I had a very, very bad mental health week last week. I had some problems in the lab and that coincided with me being hormonal and just the fact that COVID and the fact that the world is different has completely destroyed my resiliency. And so I had, especially Wednesday last week, was a very, very low day for me. And my mental health minute, though, is to surround yourself with people who will accept that and support you through your bad days and love you no matter what uh, and understand that they will help you. They will support you to the extent that you can remember that just because you feel down on yourself doesn't mean that you stop having worth as a person like i was clearly having an awful day. I was texting my boyfriend not very often because I was not in the mood to talk to anyone. But uh, I came home and even though he had, my boyfriend had had to go out to the farm to do some stuff for his mom, he had left me uh, wine and chocolate and a candle and a Aww. chicken salad sandwich. And so food, hey. food in the fridge. So uh, just, it was, it made me cry. And it's just a, uh, my mental health minute is just remember to find people who support you when you're having a bad day because we all have them, you know, and I try to support him when he has bad days. And that's just important to remember for everyone. Oh, God, absolutely. And I think you hit the nail on the head, which is like, you know, sometimes you need to have those days too, right? Like you need to be in your feelings. Um, there was no getting me out of my feelings that day. <laughs> no, I mean, and that's okay. And I feel like that's a thing too, is like, you know, understanding that it's like, first of all, my big thing as I always tell clients is mattering matters. Like you matter, you know, you make an impact, you matter. And then it's also okay to not be okay. You know, at some point in our society, we've forgotten that we're allowed to have bad days. Everyone has bad days and it's completely yeah. fine. I had a bad day and I was not okay. <laughs> and that's Okay. You know, and it's really like, like I'm sitting here and I personally think that's like very powerful that you recognize that and were able to put yourself in a place where you were supported and safe. Um, and that's awesome. Like, I love that. Um, my mental health minute for this week is I've started TikTok uh, with my students. Uh, my, <laughs> my clients finally got me in on a, so I run a little mental health group called Life Skills. And now I have an educational TikTok group and um, focusing very heavy on self-care and things we can do for self-care that are positive. And 
while all of that is great, I have discovered something, and that is I am terrible at TikTok. <laughs> what is it? Okay. I am so bad. I I know of TikTok. I do not know. I do not have an account. I have never watched videos that aren't just in compilations on Facebook. Um, I feel very old in admitting that I don't oh, want to try to understand it. But um, what what do you, what do you do in your educational TikToks? So it's video editing, and I'm not very good at it. So right now I'm doing like very choppy clips of like my mental health for this week, like my, my self-care this week. And of course my students are bringing them to class. Cause like, that's the thing we all bring like a clip to group once a week and we share them and theirs are, you know, these beautiful, gorgeous, like compilations. And it's, it's great because then I'm able to give them like some self-esteem be like, you guys are amazing. And I'll say, these are some nice students, man, because they're always like, Oh, yours looks great. Miss Katie. And I'm like, look, I figured out how to put, how to put a star emoji. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and they're like it looks great so Aww. that's my mental health minute i'm also gonna back up the su- surround yourself by people that make you feel good even if those people are <laughs> even when you're not doing good if those people are your students encouraging your <laughs> even if they're lying millennial, to you. <laughs> uh, millennial technology skills oh my god when did when did millennials get bad at technology that's like, the thing that i don't know like i guess this one's this one's for gen z you know that's we don't yeah, this one's not for us gen z's gonna change the world us millennials we still eat dinosaur chicken nuggets and are bitter about the fact that like you know our college degrees amounted to nothing so you know yeah, send huh? despair yeah. so <laughs> just despair all right guys well we're out of time for this week um don't forget to hit us up on email if you have questions about anything that we talked about today uh you can shoot it to me and I'll be sure to uh, share with our resident scientists. We are Southern Science Chicks at gmail.com. And uh, we'll see y'all next week. Bye. Bye. <laughs>